Maybe the way you keep from going crazy is by writing on your walls. When you think you're about to lose your mind, maybe the way you keep from losing your mind is by writing on your walls. That's what the reformer Martin Luther did. Gustav Weinke writes about Luther and how he had a habit of writing on the walls in his study. He says this, 20 years after Luther had been at the Castle Coburg during the Diet of Augsburg, Matthias Ratzeberger, Luther's physician, visited there. He made a point of inspecting the room Luther had used as a study and meticulously noted down the verses which Luther had written on the wall. One was Psalm 118, verse 17. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. To the verse, Luther had added musical notes for singing. Other psalm verses were also marked on the wall. It was Luther's custom to write down verses and words where he could have them before his eyes. When the news of his father's death reached him at the Coburg, Luther took his psalter, went to his room, and was not seen the rest of the day. Sometimes the way you keep from losing your marbles is by writing Psalm 118, verse 17, on your walls. I did that on Friday. I copied Luther, and on the walls in my little man cave in the garage, I wrote Psalm 118, verse 17. I have a painting of Martin Luther there, and right underneath it, I just wrote this verse. I copied Luther I was feeling overwhelmed with all that's going on in my life, so I just decided to do what Martin Luther did, and I wrote Psalm 118, verse 17 on the wall. And then I called a friend, and you have to do that too. You can't walk the Christian life alone. There are times when, I'm, listen, I'm not a person who likes to ask for help. I'm not a person who asks for help, but I've learned over the last seven months I need to reach out, and now I just find myself doing that. And on Friday, I just called a friend up and said, I need you to speak truth into my heart. I need you to help me get recalibrated. Sometimes the way you keep from losing all your marbles is by writing Psalm 118 verse 17 on your walls. To keep from going crazy, when your life is crazy, you have to wallpaper your reality with the word of God. David Pallison said that. Wallpaper your reality with the word of God. I've shared this with you before, but I share it again because that's exactly what Abram and company had to do. And it's what we have to do. Like Luther, we must wallpaper our life with the promises of God. That's how you make it. That's how you keep from losing your mind when you have a prodigal son or daughter. That's how you keep from losing your mind when you get a cancer diagnosis. It's how you keep from losing your mind if your spouse wants to leave you. You wallpaper your reality with the Word of God. Okay, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, continuing our new series called Messy Discipleship, looking at the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What we'll see today is that God so loved the world that he showed up to Abram's house and said, Psst, Abram, pack your bags. We're going on a road trip. That's how much God loved the world. He called Abram. As we saw last week, Abram and his family left Ur of the Chaldeans. You can see it in the picture there in the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, made their way to the land of Canaan, but they stopped in Haran. But then Yahweh showed up one day with a U-Haul truck as they were living in Haran and said, it's time to keep moving. And so they made their way down into Canaan. By the way, if you're new to grace, you need to know that in Hebrew, 
the original language that the Old Testament is written in, as well as a little bit of uh, Aramaic. Yahweh is God's covenant name. So when I say Yahweh, I'm referring to God. In our English Bibles, translators typically translate Yahweh as Lord. It's in all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So when you see Lord in all caps in your English Bibles, that's the translators letting you know that in the original language of Hebrew, it's God's name, Yahweh. So Lord, all caps in your English Bibles, means Yahweh. Now, why they do that, I do not know. I mean, actually, I do know why. Because some people have believed that God's name, Yahweh, was too holy to pronounce. And there's like this rumor out there that it was like too holy to pronounce and that nobody would have ever said that. But that's not true. As we'll see in our passage today, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. He called upon the name of Yahweh. God's name has always been spoken by his people. Yahweh gave us his name to be used and cherished in prayer and in singing. So let me read something to you by Old Testament scholar Alec Motier, and then we'll jump into the text. He says this, So it was in Genesis 4.26 when people began to call their God by his personal name. So it was even more when the significance of that name was revealed to Moses in Exodus 3.15. A totally false sense of reverence later said the name is too holy for us to use, and the custom was introduced of representing it as the Lord. No, no. He has granted us the privilege, and we should learn belatedly to live in the benefit of it. Hebrew has two main nouns for God. There is the plural Elohim, God in the fullness of the divine attributes, For simplicity, I translate this as God. And then there is the singular L, which I translate as transcendent God. But there is only one name. God is what he is. Yahweh is who he is. So as I always do when I preach in the Old Testament, I will be using Yahweh. Listen, I want the kids in this church to grow up and know that God's name is Yahweh. Okay, Genesis chapter 12, look at verse 1. Hear the word of Yahweh. Now Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." Wow, did you notice that? Right there in verse 1, Yahweh spoke to Abram. Sometimes I think we forget how wonderfully shocking this is, that God speaks to his people, that God himself, the transcendent God in all of his attributes, speaks to us, people like us who get frustrated with people at the grocery store. Think about that. He speaks to people like us. The last time we saw Yahweh speaking in the book of Genesis is the fall of Adam and Eve, and then when Cain kills his brother, and then with Noah and the flood, and then finally the Tower of Babel, and it's all judgment. It's all God dealing with sin, but now he shows up in chapter 12 not to bring judgment, but in grace 
calling Abram to himself, speaking to him, talking to him. So God speaks in Genesis 12, and it's nothing but promises and blessings. Sometimes I think we forget how wonderfully shocking this is that God speaks to us. We rarely speak to him, right? And God speaks to us. How much more should we, we, should we be in awe because we have the Bible? Listen, if you want to hear God speak to you audibly, if you want to hear God's voice, just open your Bible and read it out loud. Or use an app on your phone. God speaks. Never get over that. So Yahweh speaks to Abram and tells him to pack his bags and go to the land of Canaan. But what was Abram doing when God appeared to him? Well, what was Abram's life like before God appeared to him and spoke? Well, in Joshua 24, verse 2, it tells us that Abram and his family were worshiping other gods when they were living in Ur. So Abram was just a run-of-the-mill, unregenerate pagan when he got saved. There was, he had no special ethnicity about him. Just a pagan doing pagan things because pagan's gonna pagan. And pagan, Abram, did. He was an idol worshiper, worshiping all kinds of gods that you could find in the ancient Near East at the time. And so we see the sovereignty of God at work here. The Lord appears to Abram at some point when he's living in Ur and God regenerates him and fills him with his Holy Spirit and makes him alive spiritually so that Abram can follow Yahweh as a disciple and live a life of glorifying and enjoying God. And then at some point after Abram's conversion, Yahweh appears to him and tells him to go to the land of Canaan. And so the sovereignty of God is all over this passage. It's like glitter. It's just everywhere. Listen, if you can leave these two paragraphs in Genesis chapter 12 without getting God's sovereignty all over you, you need to reread them. God is the one who takes the initiative to save Abram when he was living his best pagan life in Ur of the Chaldeans. God calls Abram. As God always calls the elect, God calls Abram to himself. And you can file that under sovereign grace. And you see the sovereignty of God in all the I will statements that Yahweh makes here. I will show you, I will make of you, I will bless you, and I will make your name great. I will bless, I will curse, I will give this land. Seven I will promises here. Yahweh is doing everything. God is doing everything here. I will, I will, I will. Ralph Davis calls these I will statements the quad promise. He says, there is a people or a seed. I will make you into a great nation. To your seed, your descendants, I will give this land. There's his protection slash, slash presence. I will bless uh, those who bless you and curse those who curse you. There's a program here, um, God's program, which is in you, Abram, all the families of the earth, all nations, all people groups will be blessed. And then there's a place, he says, to the land 
that I will show you. To your descendants, I will give this land. And so Yahweh promises Abram that he would have a people, even though Abram's wife, Sarai, is barren. You're going to have descendants, even though she's barren. More on that later. And you will have my protective presence as you go into the land, and all nations will be blessed through you. And then finally, you will have land. Now, you wouldn't think that God calling one man, Abram, would really matter. I mean, is that fact going to change your Thursday afternoon this week? Is it going to change your Thursday afternoon that God called Abram when he was living his best pagan life in Ur of the Chaldeans? Well, it should. It matters to your salvation that God called Abram. Your salvation hinges upon that. Why? Because this is the way that God would bless the nations of the world. This is how the gospel, the good news that God loves sinners and does something about it, this is how the gospel goes to the nations of the world. It goes through Abram, whose name gets eventually turned into Abraham. It goes through Abraham and then eventually through God's own son, Jesus Christ. And now, if we are united to Christ by faith, we are now co-heirs with Abraham, the man of faith, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. Listen to this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then Galatians 3 Verses 26 to 29. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We are heirs according to the promises given here in Genesis 12 to Abraham. We are blessed along with Abraham. This is the gospel, is that these blessings are ours too. Ultimately, I think the land promises are leading to the new heavens and the new earth when we as God's sons will enjoy the universe. And so, yeah, it will change your Thursday afternoon this week that God called a pagan man named Abram because it is through him that his son Jesus Christ has come. But what does Abram do with this quad promise from Yahweh? Look at verse 4. So Abram went, as Yahweh had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to Yahweh who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. 
And there he built an altar to Yahweh and called upon the name of Yahweh. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. I love verse 4 because it says, So Abram went. He just took God at his word. He just packed up his bags and took off. I love that. I wish I did that more. Now, the first 75 years of Abram's life are unknown. We don't know what his life was like before this. All we know is that he was a pagan living in Ur of the Chaldeans, worshiping other gods. But then Yahweh showed up when he was 75 and said, move to a place that I tell you to move. And he did. So Abram went. And as Abram is unpacking the U-Haul in the land of Canaan, Yahweh appears to him a second time and reiterates the promise in verse 7. He tells him, to your offspring, I will give this land. Why did Yahweh show up a second time? Why repeat the promise to Abram? Because God knows that we need assurance. Because God knows that our faith can be weak like mine was on Friday morning. God knows that one minute we can be Genesis 12, 7. So Abram went people and then suddenly become Matthew eight twenty five disciples in the boat crying out, save us, O Lord, we are perishing people. We can be Genesis 12, 7 people and seconds later be Matthew eight twenty five people. Oh Lord, save us, we're gonna die. Just like that, from faith to fear. And so what God does is he brings us reassurances through his word and then oftentimes through other people. Like what happened to me on Friday morning. I had a friend reading me scripture. He says, I know you already know this. And I said, tell me again. I need to know. And he read scripture to me. He said, I know you already know. And I said, I just need to hear it from somebody outside of me. I need somebody outside of me speaking God's word into my heart. And it made a difference. God brings us reassurances through his word and oftentimes through other people when our hearts are discombobulated. I think Jesus would agree with our big idea today. Wallpaper your reality with the word of God. That's what I literally did on Friday morning. And that's why Yahweh repeats the promise to Abram here in verse 7. So that his promise will wallpaper Abram's reality. And what was Abram's reality? Oh yeah, he's 75 years old and his wife Sarai is barren. You're gonna have kids. I'm 75, she's old, she can't even have kids. What do you mean we're gonna have kids? That was his reality. That's why Yahweh showed up repeating the promise of land and offspring because everything in their life said the opposite. And sometimes life is like that, where everything in your life says the complete opposite of God's promise to you, the complete opposite of God's word. They are old. Sarai is barren. And oh yeah, there's another reason to repeat the promise to Abram. The Canaanites currently occupy the land that Yahweh promised to Abram. So two things stand in the way of God's promise, Sarai's barrenness and the Canaanites. Everything looked impossible, opposite of God's promise. But Abram and company went into the unknown with the promise of God 
in their back pocket. That's all they had. And sometimes that's all you have, but that's all you need. Bruce Waltke says, Christians are people of the ear, not of the eye. Because we walk by faith, don't we? Not by sight. We hear and believe, not see and believe. We hear and believe because we are people of the ear and not of the eye. So Abram shows us how to live by faith because he and Sarai had no idea why God would call them to leave their family in Ur of the Chaldeans and why his brother would die and why his father would die on their journey and why Sarai could not get pregnant. They had no idea why things were this way. They had no explanations from God. They had to trust Yahweh's heart when they couldn't trace his hand. But we now know that God was preparing them to bring blessing to the nations of the world. Part of God's purpose as Abram and Sarai are going through this, part of his promise, the bigger purpose, was saving you. Think about that. Abraham and Sarai are dealing with all this. There's Canaanites in here in the land. How are we going to get rid of them? I'm 75. I can't go to war. She's barren, can't have kids. What do you mean we're going to have kids? All that's going on in their life, they couldn't understand. But part of the purpose, really the bigger purpose of it all, was that God wanted to save you. Think about that. He wanted to save you. He wanted to adopt you into his family. I mean, isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that make you want to stand up and sing the doxology? Praise God from whom the blessing of Abraham flows? And like Abram and Sarai, we have to think about what God is preparing us for right now as we go through trials because we may not understand God's purposes right now. We may not understand his ways. We, we might not even understand it all until we look back and see what God was doing in our lives. But in between then, we may not understand, but we can believe. We may not have explanations as to why things are happening the way they are in our lives, but we can trust. We may be confused. We may be perplexed, but we can trust his promises just like Abram. Understand this, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where Jesus is preparing us for things in the future. We may not understand right now how it's all going to work out, but God has a bigger plan for all of our lives. We simply have to cling to him, cling to his promises. God is doing things in our lives right now where he is taking us through trials that will enable us to be able to go through the trials that we're going to go through in two years, five years, ten years. The things that we're going through right now may be preparing us for some trial that we're going to face in the future. And if we don't go through what we're going through right now, we won't be able to go through what we're going through then because we're going to learn and we're going to grow as a disciple. Think about that. So how do you stay strong in the midst of overwhelming circumstances where you feel like you're in the wilderness and you don't know what's going on in your life and you don't know what God is up to? Answer, you cling to the promises of God and you cling to the God of the promises. You don't have to understand what God is up to. You don't have to have explanations 
You simply find a promise in his word and you cling to it. You paint your reality with the promise of God. And like Luther, you write scripture on your wall if you have to, to remind yourself. And the good news of the gospel is that God is holding us even when we can't cling to him. When we are so weak that all we can do is collapse, we collapse into the everlasting arms. And the reality is that we're not so much clinging to God as we are resting and collapsing into his hands. So this promise in Genesis 12, given back in Ur of the Chaldeans, this was Abram's Bible. He had no scripture. He had no verses. Have you ever thought about that? What did he read during his quiet time? He had no Bible, no verses like nothing is too impossible for God. No, I can do all things through Christ. No Romans 8.28. But he had this quad promise that he and Sarai could cling to. He could paint the reality of Sarai's barrenness with these words, to your offspring, I will give this land. But notice too what it says in verses 7 and 8. So he built there an altar to Yahweh who had appeared to him. And then again, and there he built an altar to Yahweh and called upon the name of Yahweh. In other words, Abram worshipped. In the midst of the confusion and not being able to explain Sarai's barrenness, he worshipped. He built an altar. I'm sure Abram had questions. I'm sure he wanted explanations. I'm sure he didn't understand what was happening. But he worshipped. Think about that the next time you scratch your head and you wonder what God is doing in your life. Think about the next time you crave explanations from God. Just worship. That was me on Friday morning. I hung up with my friend and I just said, I need to put on some worship music and I need to sing, recalibrate my heart. I had to do it again this morning. Just got to put on some songs. I just, my head is spinning. I don't understand what you're doing in my life, God. I need to worship. Just simply worship. Next time you're about to go crazy, you're like, why, God? Why is this happening? What's going on, Jesus? Why this? Why that? Why, does the, why do I keep hit, getting hit wave after wave of problem after problem? Why? Just stop and worship. Stop and say, I'm going to worship you, God, because you're worthy. And so Abram builds an altar two times, the text tells us. It's like he can't get away from worship. He can't get away from celebrating atonement and offering sacrifices to Yahweh, which is most likely what he was doing here. And we can't get away from the fact that Abram likely offered sacrifices for his sins at these altars. And so we can say that at least two specific times, Abram confesses his sin as he builds this altar, worships God, and offers sacrifices. Why? Why? Why follow up hearing the promises of God by worshiping? Why follow up hearing the promises of God by building altars and offering sacrifices and confessing your sin? Why do that? Well, I'll let Old Testament scholar Ian Duguid answer that. He says this, The purpose of confessing our sins is not to render us miserable by simply reminding us what great sinners we are. It is to remind us of what a great Savior we have. The purpose of confessing our sins is not so that we would feel miserable and hate ourselves. It's to remind us of what a great Savior we have in Jesus. Some preachers think 
all they're supposed to preach on is how terrible we are as sinners so that you feel bad about yourself as if feeling bad is what church is supposed to be. I know some Christians who, if they don't leave feeling terrible, it wasn't a good day at church. That's a good day at church for them. I feel terrible about myself. No, the purpose of hearing God's law preached and being exposed as sinners is not to make us miserable. It's to remind us of what a great Savior we have who loved us and gave himself for us so that we leave happy and rejoicing in the good news, not beating ourselves up. Abram built two altars to remind himself and to remind his family what a great Savior Yahweh is. To remind himself that God forgives sinners. That Jesus can't remember our sins. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To remind himself that Yahweh paid it all and all to him we owe. To remind himself and his family that though our sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That's why we confess our sins. So that we're reminded of what a great Savior we have. So don't be afraid to confess your sins. Just remember Jesus. Abram's two altars were a reminder to him and to his family, which now includes us because we're sons of Abraham. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons said, Father Abraham. That's a, that's a great song, actually. His two altars he built to remind himself and to remind his family, which now includes us, to wallpaper your reality with the word of God. This was Abram wallpapering his life with the reality of God's word. He built this altar to say, Yahweh is a great savior. I'm offering a sacrifice to be reminded that I'm forgiven of my sins, that something, an animal dies in my place. I am built an altar to worship Yahweh as the covenant-keeping God, the God who keeps his promises, the God who said, my wife is gonna get pregnant even though she's old. That we're going to have land even though the Canaanites are renting it out right now. And so he built this altar to remind himself of how faithful God is. He painted his reality with the promises of God. Here's another example of how to do that. How to wallpaper your reality with God's word. Uh, I've shared this before, but it's worth hearing again. Ray and Jenny Ortland endured a very difficult uh, season of ministry at a church that they pastored before they planted Emmanuel uh, Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and they were so wounded. Ray said it was, it was a living hell, what they went through. He said it was a living hell. He says they were so wounded, so hurt, they didn't think they could go on in ministry. And then if you know David Pallison, he a, was a biblical counselor. He passed on some wisdom to comfort them. Here's what Ray said about David Pallison shortly after David died in 2019. He said, remembering David Pallison moves me deeply. When everything was on the line for Janny and me, David and Nan were there for us. We spent a day together in 2007 for Janny and me, a catastrophic disaster of a year. David was an oasis of calm gentleness and reasonableness amid a swirl of accusations, loss, and heartbreak. 
David with Nan kept our hope alive. One suggestion David made became so significant that I have passed it along to many others since then. I can't remember his exact words, but it went something like this. Ray and Janney, you are suffering, and it isn't going to get better anytime soon. So here's an idea. Ask the Lord for a verse of Scripture, a promise in the Bible, to help you get through this. And when that verse jumps off the page into your heart, make it the theme of your life while you slog your way forward. However dark the nighttime sky might be, you can always look up at that North Star promise and get your bearings again and keep going. But wallpaper your reality with the Word of God. Ray continues, and so we did. We asked the Lord to personalize to us some biblical encouragement of his own choosing, and he did. Janny was reading 1 Peter 5 soon thereafter, and verse 10 was a direct hit in the best of ways. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We seized that verse. We memorized 1 Peter 5.10, discussed it, prayed over it. Jannie wrote it out on three by five cards and taped them to the inside of the kitchen cupboard so that every time she went to get a glass or a plate, there was 1 Peter 5.10. I wrote it out and stuck it to the visor in my truck so that at a red light I could look up and be strengthened by 1 Peter 5.10. We never let that verse out of our sight. And in ways we could not have imagined, God has proved faithful to his promise. To this day, whenever Janie and I are experiencing some restoring, confirming, strengthening, or establishing mercy, we look at one another and say, 1 Peter 5.10. In fact, we did so just yesterday. That word from above didn't merely help us cope. It redefined how we experience reality. It kept me in the ministry. David Powlison understood human despair. He understood how God helps sufferers. He understood that what we need is a hope dependent on nothing in this world but grounded in God alone. The word himself in 1 Peter 5.10 has become to me one of the most precious words in all the Bible. God, not delegating the task to any angel, but God himself getting personally and directly involved with us in our real need. How glorious. At the time, I have to admit that though my heart resonated with 1 Peter 5.10, I struggled to believe it. Janny believed it more than I could. But David was right. And thanks to his wise counsel, I turned toward the Lord with the weak faith I had. And gradually, I was enabled to believe it more and more. And now I know at a deep and personal level that God himself restores, confirms, strengthens and establishes us when we have nothing to offer him but our sorrow and need. Thank you, David. Thank you. Isn't that a great story? That's a Genesis 12, Abram built an altar there story. So let me ask you as we close, are you suffering right now in your life? Do you feel overwhelmed with everything that's happening? Do you feel like you're going crazy? Do you feel like the pain is so deep that you might not make it one more day? Are you in the pit of despair? Depressed, maybe. If so, this is what I want you to do. Ask the Lord for a verse of Scripture. Ask Him for a promise in His Word that can help you get through this season of your life. 
Ask the Lord to personalize it to you. Some, some verse, some kind of biblical encouragement of his own choosing. Say, Lord, reveal it to me. And then plaster it everywhere. Write it on your walls if you have to. Write it out on three by five cards. Tape them to the insides of your kitchen cupboard so that every time you go to get a cup or a plate, you see it. Write it out and stick it to the visor in your car so that at a red light, you can look up and be strengthened by it. And then in ways that you could not have imagined, God will prove faithful to his promise. You find a promise, ask him for a promise in his word. I promise you that he will be faithful to that promise in this season of your life. Besides, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose if you do this? What do you have to lose by looking at a verse of scripture over and over again? I told you last week, my verse has been Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then this morning I was focusing on the second part, verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait on the Lord. Those, those verbs in Hebrew are singular. David's talking to himself. So I had to talk to myself this morning. I, this is what it said to me. Benji, wait on the Lord. Benji, be strong. Benji, let your heart take courage. Benji, wait on the Lord. I had to preach that verse to my heart this morning. That's what we have to do. And then when you find that verse, when the Lord reveals it, when it jumps off the page, whatever verse it is that he gives you, let it be the theme of your life as you slog your way forward in this darkness. Let it be the north star in the sky that you always look to when anxiety comes and worry and fear. And let it help you get your bearings again. And if you do that, you'll find yourself doing what Abram did. You'll worship. The late David Pallison, along with Martin Luther, and along with Abram and company, they would tell you today, wallpaper your reality with the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for speaking through your word to us. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that as the verse we read earlier, not one of your promises failed. Not one of your promises will ever fail. So Jesus, I ask by your spirit for every person here, maybe they already have a verse, but especially if they're looking for one, would you reveal that to them as they're reading your word? Would you have a verse leap off the page and they can say, that's the verse. That's the verse I'm going to cling to. Then I'm going to put all over my house and my car. I may even write it on my walls, but that's the verse that's going to be my north star in this darkness that will help me get my bearings again. So Jesus, I ask you by your spirit, reveal that, a promise in your word to each person here. May they cling to it, Lord. And may they be able to look back one day and say, yes, Jesus was faithful to that promise. Help us because all we bring to you is our need and sorrow this morning, Jesus. So help us in your name we pray, amen.